Welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. The weekly theme will be simple as well as rich and something you can apply to your real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the hard or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. Hello, beautiful humans. I want to place a trigger warning from the jump here. This will be an episode where I talk about holding space for people and creating containers for process, which is essential, I believe, to our individual wellness and our collective healing. But in particular, I do talk a little bit about the Matthew Shepard case and the tragic circumstances around his death in 1998. So please take good care of yourselves and sit this one out always if you need to. Okay, so I got a lot of feedback about last week's episode. People loved the Coretta Bear story (laughs) about the fucking chicken. I loved it too. I'm so glad I told it to you all because I think we all need to belly laugh more. Things can feel pretty heavy and serious in the world today. And sometimes I have these little stories that don't necessarily connect to a theme, but I want to share them with you. So I will keep kind of listening out for those in my life and I may share them here and there. Um, I don't think I have any that stand out this week. We are back to school, getting into that rhythm, which feels really good. Um, Thinking about Halloween costumes in our house, which is a big holiday, big holiday here, spooky season. Um, Taking our elderberry syrup every day to boost us up and fire cider. And the kids are still, um, nonetheless, bringing the crud home. So I'm doing my best to combat that inevitable influx of snot and such. I'm reading a lot these days and have this really big ambitious stack of new books to tackle while I recover from my upcoming ankle surgery. For my patrons, this week I'm going to put out a video of some of my favorite new book titles, so be looking for those recommendations in your inbox. Okay, um, let me jump into this theme today. In 1998, Matthew Shepard was brutally tortured and murdered in Laramie, Wyoming. And this case deeply affected me back then, and it continues to haunt me now. He was 21 years old, so was I at the time when this happened. And I think about Matthew a lot, and I've read a lot about this terrible case and have followed the beautiful things that his parents have done in his memory He was a very special human whose life was ripped away by the most terrible people, just absolute monsters. I'm not going to get into the gruesome details of this crime, but I will say that this was a hate crime. It was an anti-gay crime. Matthew was gay and he was tortured and left to perish on a fence all night in the cold, a brutal, unimaginable, terrible, lonely night. 
And when he was found the next day, he, he was found by a female police officer. He was still alive, but barely. And this officer reported that a deer who seemingly had been keeping watch over Matthew all night, this deer was just incredibly still when she walked up to Matthew and the deer just looked right at her in the eyes. The deer didn't move or run away when she came up, but looked right at her in the eyes and watched her caring for Matthew. And when the deer felt assured that someone had come for him, this beautiful animal slowly got up and walked away. I read this recently, and I've not been able to stop thinking about it. I'm just so grateful for this deer holding space in the most horrific of circumstances. And of course, I don't think anyone knows if Matthew was aware of this deer or her presence in his story, or if by that point his consciousness was so far gone. I honestly hope that he was on a different plane by that point and had somehow transcended this suffering and betrayal and brutality. But if he was there at all, maybe he could feel the love of this deer. This research led me into thinking about deer medicine and what this particular animal represents. And I found this quote, from the gentle doe to the mighty stag, the totem deer represents gentleness, innocence, intuition, and unconditional love, as well as safety, strength, and protection. This part of Matthew's story lured me into talking about holding space and creating containers for people. And honestly, animals are often so much better at this than humans are because they don't have agendas that get tangled with ego. They can just be quiet light workers. Animals know, they know. They know when to come and wait and to stay near and stay low. They know when to alert and sound alarm. They know when to hold vigil and we can learn so much from them. When my great aunt Maddie was dying, there was a kitten there. It was my Aunt Paula's kitten named Prissy. And Prissy would just lie on top of Maddie for hours and hours a day. She would curl up on her and purr. She knew. She knew she was able to provide comfort in the last hours, and it was really, really sweet. Sometimes all we need is to breathe with someone. Be quiet and breathe with them. Sometimes there's nothing that can be done except hold this quiet container of breath and space. I was in my friend Tina's hot tub a few mornings back, which was, we decided, morning medicine, <laughs> both the company and the hot tub itself. But we were talking about my ankle and I was telling my friends, Tina and Tara, about some raw emotions that were surfacing about that. And Tina's dog, Roxy, 
in the middle of me talking, just came over while I was talking and she put her nose on me and started licking my hand. And it was so clear that she came over to tend to me because I was talking about something emotional and kind of hard. She was so obviously holding space and making a container. That which transcends words and that which is different than buzzing around and doing It's so powerful. When I was lucky enough to be with my dad in his last days of life, it was such a privilege to get to just be be next to him. He was in hospice after a massive stroke. And for a couple of weeks, he was just, um, he wasn't really conscious. He was just sort of floating, I think, in the in-between space. His mind was not really with us anymore but his body had not yet let go. And it was such a privilege to sit near him and to hold vigil. And I would hold his feet and I would talk to him and I would breathe. And at a certain point, I was able to give permission to let go. I told him I was okay. And I talked to a medium later who told me that he was at peace and that at the time he remained alive was for us, his family, to grow accustomed to the idea. And that is how it felt. It was like this soft exit. (laughs) And I felt like I really got to say goodbye and I felt like he heard me. So sometimes there's really nothing to do but hold the room and breathe in the room, and attend to the person in no other way, but with your presence and your attention. It can be the most precious thing. Recently, when Otis, he was just kind of having a moment, he was feeling really upset about something. He was crying and dysregulated, and I just went over and I sat next to him, and I put my hand on his feet. I didn't say anything. I didn't try to fix it or talk about it or take any sort of solution action. I just breathed. I held my hand on his feet and I stayed. And he slowly wound down the crying and he started to match my breath. And after a few minutes of just doing that, just being quiet next to each other, he looked at me and he said, okay, mama, you can go. And those were the only words that we exchanged, but I think he, he understood that I was trying to be a container, a safe container for him. I'm reading this great book. I haven't finished it yet, but I feel like I've read enough that I can recommend it. It's called The Art of Holding Space, A Practice of Love, Liberation, and Leadership, and it's by Heather Plett. She quotes Parker Palmer in it. Quote, the human soul doesn't want to be advised, fixed, or saved. It simply wants to be addressed, to be seen, heard, and companioned exactly as it is. When we make that kind of deep bow to the soul of a suffering person, our respect reinforces the soul's healing resources, the only resources that can help the sufferer make it through. 
I think about what it is to witness one another, to look into someone's eyes, say nothing, breathe with them, see them, all the way down to the very bottom of their soul and to hold them there. The author of this book talks about being a bowl for somebody, about being a container, witnessing them and allowing them permission to be exactly as they are and how they are. But she also uses the phrase space for complexity, which I like and I really haven't heard before, at least not in those exact words, space for complexity, letting there not be a clean answer, an easy puzzle piece solution. It could really, you know, it could just really be convoluted what somebody needs, like really off the beaten path. And maybe nobody knows what the path even is yet. But it doesn't mean that you can't breathe with them and hold their feet while you wait together. So much can be held in the quiet. We always want to do We always want to fix. We always want to wrap it up in a bow. Essentially, I think, because it's more comfortable for us as space holders. But healing and holding doesn't really work that neatly. And the sooner we know that in our bones, the better our relationships become. And the better attended to our people are. You know, and I, I think where the glitch is, where some of us get attached, even as lightworkers and well-intentioned folks in the healing arts, where we get kind of glitched is that we, we have a certain expectation or attachment to how somebody gets better or how they evolve or how they choose to move forward. We decide what we think is best and then we, we try to guide them towards that with good intentions, but then we can get wounded sometimes if we don't think they're making healthy choices. And it's just tricky, tricky, tricky. Plett in this book talks about mindfulness and detachment as essential ingredients for holding space for somebody. And that really rings true for me. Not detachment in the sense of like, uh, not caring, but just getting enough space from their decision-making that you don't get wounded if they choose something different than you would have chosen. So maybe like a curiosity and a wondering alongside them. I wonder, have you thought about this perspective? I wonder what it would bring up if you considered these things like that, but with no expectation of the answer or the conclusions that they come to. I've definitely found myself in this situation before. I've had I've had multiple friends in what appears to be a toxic relationship that they're struggling to leave. I have also been the friend that needs to leave that kind of relationship at different points in my life. But if I'm watching somebody do this and all signs point to leaving being the healthy choice, the only way for them to claim their power back 
even if I'm asked for my perspective, I'm reluctant to draw a hard line in the sand about how I feel because I know what they mostly need is to be held in a container while they make their decision to go into or out of the forest, whichever one is best. So quiet vigil, deep breath, a bowl, a lighthouse, something that will give them a reference point to the shore because they're the only one with the real map and the real way forward. So maybe, and I was thinking about this analogy today, maybe their relationship is in hospice and you're sitting with them near the bed, but they're not ready to say goodbye yet. They have to process it more, even if they know that that death is inevitable. It may take more time. And as always, there's another side. The ingredients I give you in the podcast are not for every situation and don't stand alone. These ingredients always need to be kind of picked and chosen from a basket of other things that create paradox. For example, sometimes you have to redirect your kid or your friend decisively because they're in danger or there's something very acutely out of whack. Like I talked about in the last episode, last podcast episode, like, nope, you got to get out of this situation, done and done. But other times we have this tendency to solve it and have a clean perforation line. And I think that's more for our comfort zone than it is really helpful for the other person. So... I've talked here about how we can hold space for people who are dying and how to be a container for people who are in the middle of a moment or a time that is tumultuous, a place of indecision. Can you be still for that without rushing to advise? I read this really beautiful piece I think it was a poem. It was just like a piece of writing. And I've looked and looked in my notes and I can't find it anymore. I'm so irritated that I can't find it today. But I trust that there's a reason for that. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to paraphrase it to the best of my ability and try to do um, the feeling of the piece some justice because it it really uh, impacted me. And I, I will find it at some point and read it again. So this writer was talking about what happens right after someone dies? And she urges the loved one who's left to be still. She says there's nothing to rush off to in that moment. There's no emergency. There's no one to call right in that moment. There'll be time for that and those list of things that you have to do will get tended to soon. But she makes this invitation right after the moment of death, to slow right down, to hold that in-between space without panic or push of any kind of action, and just rest, if only for a few minutes, with the person and acknowledge the life that has left the body without doing anything but that. 
even though I was able to sit and hold vigil next to my dad, I remember when he did actually stop breathing. I panicked. I ran out. I grabbed a hospice nurse. It felt like an emergency. I remember my heart racing. Even though I'd been sitting with him for weeks, knowing that this was coming. And and I want to say, it's okay that I did that. It's fine. But I do wish I had slowed down in that moment and not rushed to get someone. Instead, I wish I had closed my eyes, put my hands on his face, and just sat there for a time. And I want to say that you should... And here's the paradox. You should give yourself permission to do whatever you do and not worry about that. If, you know, if panic is what comes naturally, then that's okay. But I think the permission to be still and to anchor in moments like that can be a really sweet thing for us. You know, We're so bright and powerful in those moments when we love this much. And I wonder, could we trust this more instead of having to always do, do, do until we're just blue in the face? We are each of us. And I don't know that we trust this enough. Each of us, we're able to move energy and hold powerful sacred space just by being as still as an oak tree and I think if we can remember to watch the animals who teach us how watch mother nature watch the trees watch the the wise ones around us who can do this well so that we can start to develop this kind of skill set as a practice, this kind of holding space. My friend Murray, Murray Green died. And I heard he was feeding his dogs when he had a sudden heart attack. And I don't know anybody who loved his dogs more than Murray. They were just his life. And he was such an animal lover. He saved so many pups. (laughs) So knowing that Murray was next to his dogs who loved him so was such a comfort to me. And when I heard that, I thought, well, if he had to leave this world, I couldn't think of a more perfect way than right near his pups. Um, I'm going to link in the show notes the Matthew Shepard Foundation um, and information about the Laramie Project. Um, His parents, or Matthew's parents are amazing and they just continue to do such good work. Thank you to all my patrons for your support. You are incredible, absolutely incredible. And I truly appreciate your monthly contribution. It helps so much. Um, I want to share with you my patron of the month, Tina Porter. Um, Tina says, quote, I'm interested in teaching you how to practice yoga, not just do it. Yoga to me is a lifeline that tethers us to safety while comforting and encouraging us to bravely step out into the world with confidence and humility. 
not only has the practice been a safety net for me, but throughout my 30-year practice as a student and 20 years as a teacher, I, unbeknownst to me, wove a web of true friendship and love. This web of support held me up when I needed it most, and I am forever grateful to those who continue to support my family with thoughts and prayers. Tina lost her precious boy Brody to a brain tumor recently, and she and her husband Jeff started a foundation in Brody's memory to raise money for cancer research in hopes that no other families would endure this terrible reality. I will also put the link to Brody's foundation in the show notes for you to access and donate where you can, uh, as well as Tina's website for her teaching. And she's become a dear friend of mine um, over many years. And there is no space holder like Tina. It is just absolutely one of her superpowers. So if you want to know how to hold space well, Go study with Tina. Here is um, Brody's favorite quote, oh, and I just dearly love this too. What's the bravest thing you ever said? Asked the boy. Help, said the horse. Asking for help isn't giving up, said the horse. It's refusing to give up. That's Charlie Mackesy. Much, much love to all of you listening. Please take great care of yourselves and one another. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>